This is amazing stuff. Micah. I think we just, uh, last week, got a little bit into it. Um, Written approximately 750 B.C., somewhere around there. We talked about the theme of Micah being the ultimate judgment, restoration of Judah and Israel. If we don't all know that by now, Israel uh, is, is talked about, obviously, collectively, the 12 tribes. But we have, in prophecy, a lot of times we'll have Israel, the 10 northern tribes, we'll have Judah, the two southern tribes. Um, what's interesting about that is that not only uh, in prophecy, as we'll see as we go, God will take those two and obviously melt them into one. To his people. But we obviously see the starting of this prophecy of Micah, we see an amazing fact in the first uh, verse of the first chapter when he says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Mesereth in the days of Jud, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. You can follow that in the Kings and in the first, you know, a little bit of, of some of the Chronicles, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So he sets before you the stage of this prophecy is concerning. Jerusalem was of, of Judah, of the two southern tribes. Samaria was of Ephraim, or Israel, the ten northern tribes. So right away, he, you know, the seriousness of his, uh, his prophecy is laid out to where it is. Um, we've talked about the Assyrian invasion is graphically prophesied. Um, with all, obviously the Babylonian captivity, although not in as much detail, but is also alluded to. And obviously we're all talking about these captive, uh, uh, these captivities leading obviously to the bigger picture of Armageddon in the last days. I just want to say one thing also before we get into this, before we don't forget. Uh, how many of you uh, read Second Kings chapter 18 and 19? Um, if you did, I'd, I'd urge you to do it again, because in those two chapters of Second Kings, lay out uh, detail the wonderful deliverance that God did from Jerusalem. And why is that so uh, prophetically profound, and how God did that? Because when the Assyrian uh, army was coming down, and they, we will go through some of these names, and by the way, I will not pronounce them correctly, but there are many of them. There are cities in the path leading to Jerusalem that the Assyrians very, very aggressively took. And these cities all have meanings, by the way. But until they got to Jerusalem, there was amazing prophecy that God said, and we looked at this in Isaiah. He said that Sennacherib will have his way until he gets to the city that I put my name there forever, and I will deliver Jerusalem out of his cruel hands. And we see that dramatically displayed in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19. So if you haven't read that, look at it. God is going to miraculously deliver his people out of Armageddon and the judgment. Miraculously. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. He is the one that's going to deliver it. Israel right now, in my estimation, has the greatest military, not only intelligence, but might in all the earth. But that is not is what's going to deliver them. Just like it did not deliver Jerusalem from Sennacherib, a very bloodthirsty ruler. God did. It's a great way of understanding that God loves his people. How dare the church today commit blasphemy and, and and not only just the amount of anti-Semitic, uh, well, I say it's blasphemy. You know, God ties his name up. He calls himself the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob over 200 times in the Old Testament. He means business. 
You know, we talked in verse 2, Hear, O people, listen, O earth, and all that is in it, the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. He means business. Remember, we went to Habakkuk chapter 2. We'll be there in just a little while, a couple weeks ahead. We've got our own creation is speaking. The Lord's in his holy temple. Listen to what Habakkuk says. And by the way, in the first chapter of Habakkuk, when we get there, if you, you know, might want to read ahead, he was crying out in the midst of total anarchy, spiritual anarchy, violence. You know, if, if there was a section of Israel that, that was, was worshiping the Lord, they were worshiping with his lips, and their heart was far from it. It was horrible. He was crying out, Lord, don't you see this? And the Lord told him, he said, I'm going to tell you something that's going to happen in the last days that, that will cause great tingling in the ears that hear that. But he also says this, he says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. We better get a grip on what's going on here. And uh, these people that teach that Israel is no longer in existence, they don't have a clue to what's happening and what's going to happen. You know, we are to take the Bible literally unless the context states otherwise. Okay? So if we run, we run to reading the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, we take it literally, unless the context states otherwise, we're on pretty safe ground. If we don't understand something, we keep going through the Word of God because it's its best commentary. We can't get very far in the prophets by realizing, wait a minute, if... if if God is so interested in Israel and in the last days and there's prophecies that are coming to pass even now, I better pay attention. You know, we in our Christian life, we think, well, you know, we're a Christian, we're not a Jew. And I thought this at the first many years of my Christian life until I got deeper into understanding of the prophets. Sometimes it's hard to think, well, I'm a Christian now. You know, in this 21st century, I go to church, I... You know, Jesus Christ saved me, and, and I want to serve him, and, and I want to bring people in. What does all this stuff have to do with me? Faithfulness, trust, honesty. Can you trust the Lord with your life? Do you, can you read passages like Philippians 1, 6, where he who began a good work in you will complete the day of Christ? Well, no, if you, if you ask these replacement theology teachers, you can't, because they say that God gives over hundreds and hundreds of prophecies and promises to guard and keep his people, of not only way back in Genesis, of the land itself. See, this is not an issue of just spirituality. This is an issue of land as well. So they're not only saying that Israel's no more and that the church has all these promises. They're saying now that Israel is illegally in the land that God gave them. So God's integrity, which is bound up in his word, is being taken away. So we better have a great understanding. I want to start tonight in, in verse 6 of chapter 1. And, uh, going. You know, I, I, my prayer for these nights, especially these minor prophets, is just that it would whet our appetite to what the Bible has to say. You know, you hear of, uh, well, the Bible's two-thirds prophecy or 28% prophecy, you know, or whatever. And, and that is true. You know, God's word is, how do I know that God is going to be who he says he's going to be to me? You know? We were talking to a lady not too long ago that has been a Christian for many, 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 many years and still has a hard time understanding that God loves her. 
Jeremiah has a wonderful prophecy, and we don't have time to go for uh, there. But just look at Jeremiah 33, I believe it is. Don't take me at that, 31 to 33, I get this mixed up. Um, Because I have so many of them going in my head right now. But you know what? You know, you see every day the sun comes up. You know, the sun goes down. God causes the rain to fall. There's sunshine to call. This is my paraphrase. Forgive me for this. But he causes all this to happen. But if you can stop the sun from coming up, if you can stop the sun from shining in the sky, if you can stop the seasons from, from happening, only then will God cause Israel to cease from being a nation before him. He always uses the language forever or eternity. Or as we'll see where this is all going to come in when we get to Micah 5 too. That Jesus comes out of Bethlehem as, as the babe. But the Son of God came from all eternity. And that is the vernacular language that God uses when he promises Israel their blessing. So how do I know God loves me? How do I know he's going to keep his promises to me? How do I know he's not going to let me go? Because he promises Israel. He promises Israel. I can't say that enough. Otherwise, you might as well take out Romans 9, 10, and 11 and just chuck them out because they will not make any sense to us unless we realize that in, in Romans 11, again, like we've talked about, we come from the stock of Abraham. We come from the root. We don't support the root. You know, the root supports us. I will make you a father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham, a father of many nations. And we can go on and, and you know, the... The language of the prophets is very pointed. So Michael 1, 6, Therefore I'll make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field places for planting a vineyard. I will pour down her stones in the valley. I will uncover her foundations. I believe this is a direct uh, prophecy of the destruction of Samaria. Which obviously given to the greater scope. Let's read on. All her carved images shall be beat to pieces, and all her pay as a harlot shall be burned with fire. All her idols I will lay desolate, for she gathered it from the pay of a harlot. And they shall return to the pay of a harlot. Therefore I will wail and howl, I will go stripped and naked, I will be a wailing like jackals, and a mourning like ostriches, for her wounds are incurable. For it has come to to Judah, it has come to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. Now in these next verses, from verses 8 down to 16, these are, again, these are challenging, small settlements that will be swallowed up by the invading Israel army. You know, a lot of these pictures that we see in type, maybe we saw in Hosea about the, the, the locusts and so forth. This is what we can see, this army was going... And God, for punishment, allowed it to happen. But one thing is very, very interesting is God said something way back about Jerusalem. I have set my name there. Okay? And you look at it today. It has nothing to offer. It has, you know, it's nothing like an elaborate city. And yet that little piece of land is the most detested piece of property in the world. And it will be heated up until this (coughs) world is turned into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. These towns, wow. Again, forgive me if, of, uh, if I give any offense to you linguists or whatever, I will do my best to pronounce them. 
and will do my best to to give a brief description of what each one means. Uh, it's amazing. You know, that's the love of God. He just doesn't do anything haphazardly. He says in verse 10, Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all in Beth Ereath. And again, and when we get to the end of these things, I will go back and we will talk about these and what they mean real briefly, these towns. They mean something. Don't you think it caused God great grief to see his people fall because of sin? We need to understand that today. Not only in the church, but th- but within this country. If we have time, I have a great closing thing about this. I weep for this country. I really do. He says, tell it again, verse 10, tell it to Gath, weep not at all in Beth Ephrath. Roll yourself in the dust. Pass by in naked shame, you inhabitant of Sapphire. The inhabitant of Zanan does not go out. Bethazel mourns. Its places to stand is taken away from you. For the inhabitant of Morah pinned for good. But disaster came down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. That's important. Verse 12, to the gate. It came down as far as to the gate of Jerusalem. Verse 13, on habit of Lagish, harness the chariot to see swift steeds. She was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for the transgressions of Israel were found in you. Verse 14, therefore you shall give presents to Morris of Gath. The houses of Ashib shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. I will yet bring a hair to you, O inhabitant of Merish. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourself bald and cut off your hair because your precious children enlarge your baldness like an eagle for they shall go from you into captivity. You know, one thing that really uh, burned David was when uh, David's men were trying to uh, to get provisions from Nabal, remember? Um, it's in, in first, uh Samuel, I think it's 25 around that area. And what enabled do? Man, he cut off some of their beards, you know. And, and it was a contempt of shame, you know. Make yourself bald as an eagle. We have all these things that grieve the Lord. This type of language, uh, men understand. You know, one thing about the Lord is that we have personality in a delivering God. That's the that is the whole idea of a God. He's a God of deliverance, and if He's a God of deliverance, He's a knowable God. And one thing about God, He creates man in His own image, and that's personality. That's a will. That's that's the the understanding to love, to hate, to discern, to have emotions, to be intimate with with His people. And when when they go astray, I have seen and heard of men who have had wives. Uh, go astray from it, and we all have it. It crushes them. That intimacy, what do you think man gets that from? He gets that from God. And that should cause each and every one of us as Christians to not to want to sin, to hate sin. and We want to please God and walk rightly when we understand that God is grieved over His people, and yet there's promises. The judgment is, is coming. It's going to fall if you won't return. But I tell you, in the latter days, and so on and so forth, Listen to some of these names. Adullam was a city built for a defense in Judah. That's what it was. That's a city in, in verse 15. Gath means to tell it not. 
Beth Aphra, the house of dust, roll yourself in shame for the way that you're acting. You know, let me let me uh, let me stop right here and, and just say something. And I must say these things. You know, some some Christians out there need to roll themselves in the dust of shame because they're acting as if God was not God or He was not the Lord of their life and He was not the Master of their life. Isn't that what Israel was doing? God was God caused Israel to be birthed. He was He was their parent, so to speak. In fact, He even equated. He, him as their husband and he their wife, and yet they were estranged. I love the fact when Jesus talked about the, the, the vineyard, remember? He, he talked about, he said, I, I chose this fertile land. And, and in that fertile land, I, I dug it up, and I, and I, I, I put a, a, not only a hedge around it, but I built a wonderful uh, vine I did all the things I could to it. And I went away from it, and I came back, and I trusted it into what I thought were faithful men, what I thought were people that would love me, what I thought were people that were called by my name, not because they were any great, they were the smallest people of the earth, but I chose to put my name there and love you. And I came back, and I expected to see fruitful grapes and fruit. And what did I do? I came back, and I saw wild grapes, rotten grapes, bad fruit. And then he adds this, he said, what more could I have done for my vineyard? Wow. What more could I have done? <clears throat> town called Shafer, beautiful. Zainan, going forth. Beth Ezel, a place nearby, a place of endearment nearby to my heart. Moroth means bitterness. Legish, by fleeing to the Assyrians, they thought they could escape judgment. Wow, what is the church doing today? They think that they can go in the way of the world, and they can track the world of Jesus Christ. That is not what Christ says. Marvel not if the world hates you. We're not to go out and, and imitate the world, because we think if we do that, then the world will like us. That's exactly what the town of Lachish means. That by these people, by fleeing to the Assyrians for help, by, by coming to them, they thought that they could escape judgment. Moorish Gath. A town called Moorish Gath means simply betrothed. Ashzib means deception. Morshrith means my inheritance. One that I spent a lot of time on. Adulam. This town once provided protection for King David. Once provided protection to Israel's king. Now was wallowed in sin. Ripe for judgment. On the path of of judgment to be cut down like grass. Once this place was a protection and a provision for King David. (coughs) 
Does that even assemble sometimes, not to get off on, on America, but at one time we were the number one country in the world for sending out missionaries. I have uh, accounts at home and in a book that I'm reading of this guy painstakingly took accounts from uh, Samuel Adams, John Adams, uh, even... even uh, George Washington and so forth, and how they wrote about Christ. Now they wrote about Christianity, and they wrote about the principles upon which this country was to be built. They are, they are just cast aside now. We used to have more seminaries and more, more education for people that wanted to, to speak the Word of God and be educated. Now nine-tenths of them are apostate. I could go on. It doesn't make any... any uh, and headway a lot of times. And simply the last verse of chapter 1 is, they shall go forth from you into captivity. You know, the Bible, all 66 books upon themselves are a book within themselves, but taken together they make the whole word of God. You know, I love it, the fact that man is... You know, in the first chapters of Genesis in the Garden of Eden, enjoying fellowship with God, and at the end of Genesis, he's in a coffin. <laughs> you know, um, God is continually pleading with his people. Let's go on to chapter 2. Woe to those who devise iniquity. By the way, getting in chapter 2 is the reasons for judgment. You know, my father used to do something that I never realized, and, and he didn't realize it either, but what he did was godly. The few times that I was punished, he sat me down and told me why I was getting the punishment before I got the punishment. That's what God does. You know? He doesn't leave you in the dark. Wow, why am I getting spanked? Well, you figure it out. No. God, God lays out everything. The reasons for judgment. Look at verse 2, verse 1, or chapter 2, verse 1. What are those who devise iniquity? and work out evil on their beds. At morning light, they practice it, because it is in the power of their hand. I think it was Al J. McLean that had, had a note that said, that on this principle was stated basically that what makes might makes right was the attitude. They practice it from the morning until the evening because it was in the power of their hand to do it. What did Jesus say about the, the, the king that went away and the people got together and said, we will not have this man to reign over us. They covet fields and take them by violence and houses and seize them. They oppress, they oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks. Nor shall you walk haughtily, for this is an evil time. <laughs> Are we living in an evil time? What was that quote that we had? I, I, I don't remember. I left it home. It was like, uh, the, the, the worst thing about men is that they, the one thing they do learn from history is that they don't learn from history. I think is a very apropos situation to understand where this world is going, where especially this country that we're only 200, what, 50 some odd years old? One thing about history is that it teaches man that he doesn't learn from history. 
And God's saying here that, again, in verse 3, Therefore this says, The Lord, behold, against this family, I am bringing undevising disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks, nor shall you walk haughtily. <coughs> for this is an evil time, verse 4, And that day one shall take up a proverb against you and lament with a bitter lamentation, saying, We are utterly destroyed. He has changed the heritage of my people. How he has removed it from me. To a turncoat he has divided our fields. Therefore you will have no one determined boundaries by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Now to understand this, we need to go back to Deuteronomy and talk about what a lot really instituted. You know, the Proverbs say a lot about a man that goes and removes a landmark from from the, the defenseless. God will, uh, God will defend that defenseless. It was a serious thing. Oppression to your fellow man, to one against another, was an offense toward God. You know, ultimately what we see in the, in the worst part of it, when Jesus, I love when he, when he saw Paul on the road to Damascus that was Saul of Tarsus, he changed him. What's the first thing he said? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When these people are pressed and they oppressed everybody else, they were persecuting the Lord. They were going against him. You were six, kind of a change of thought here from the reasons, maybe, of the validity, if you will, that I like to say. God does not need to be vindicated by me, but the validity of his judgment is so concentrated in these few verses. But look at verse 6. Do not, the king, the new King James says, do not prattle. That's an interesting word. Webster defines it as babble. You know, like, like you're a babbling idiot or a babbling fool, or you're babbling something that is not true. A foolish man babbles constantly. But in, in, in the root of that word, it means to dribble or drip, a nauseating, uh, as, as a false prophet or, or a false teacher would dribble, a nauseating uh, contamination. Uh, you know, not, we need the pure word of God, and they would drip constantly, just sewage. So either way, you know, I believe the King James says that basically just do not prophesy. Literally is what it means. Do not prattle, do not prophesy, do not babble, do not dribble this, this mess. You say those who, to those who prophesy, they shall not prophesy to you. They shall not return insult for insult. Wow. Let me read real quick. You don't have to turn there. But uh, if you look at Jeremiah 17, like I said, just listen to these words. Uh, if you have not been in, again, Jeremiah, it would be helpful because if we're going through these prophets, uh, Jeremiah and Isaiah have a lot to say. Jeremiah 17. We all know that's the great part about the deceitfulness of the, deceitfulness of the heart. He says these words. But they did not obey nor incline their ear. Nor was there, they kept their nephew stick. They did not receive my instruction. These false prophets went and I did not send them. God is... <laughs> he allowed, why does he allow this to happen? You know, why does he allow false teachers and false prophets to happen? I really don't know. I, one thing I do know is it sets a precedent for a lot of what's going on today. Or what I usually say is if there, whenever there's the real thing, there's always a counterfeit. 
We, that's why we must check everything with the Word of God. There are counterfeits out there. And God's saying these people went and they prophesied lies and I did not send them. In verse 7, back in Micah 2.7, You who are named the house of Jacob, is the Spirit of the Lord restricted? Is it restricted? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? These are the word of God. Paul says in Romans that, that the Jews, they had the very oracles of God. Through the Jews, the scriptures came. Through the Jews, God had promised his people promises, security, inheritance, blessings through them the Messiah that would bless the world. They had the seed of, if you will, the personality of God themselves. Talked about being showered with, with the blessing of God. And he's saying here, you act as if my word has no power, like my word has no validity. Listen to what God says in Ezekiel 33. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? That has been the cry for years. My ways aren't your ways, he says. As, as the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are different from your ways. You need to pay attention to that. Do we act as if his words do no good? Look at verse 8. Lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You pull off the robe with the garment. For those who trust you as they pass by, like men returned from war. The women of my people you cast out for their pleasant houses. From their children you have taken away my glory forever. You know, as I was uh, reading today and trying to put the last thoughts together, I wanted to stop at verse 9. Because the language in uh, the language here, taken in context, is very, very strong. You have taken away my glory. But it doesn't end there, you know. If it ended there, then these 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 teachers that uh, make an end to Israel would have a justification, but it doesn't in there. Let's, let's read on. Again, verse 10, Arise and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is defiled, it shall be destroyed. Yes, with utter destruction, if a man should walk in a false spirit and speak a lie, saying, I will prophesy to you of wine and drink, even he would be the prattler of his people. Again, there's that word prattler or, or dripping or, or babbling. Let me read something out of Isaiah uh, chapter 30, verse 10. This is incredible. I can never find it here. Uh, Isaiah 30, 10. Listen to this. Who says to the seers, Why do you see? Do not see. And to the prophets, Do not prophesy to us right things. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the whole of Israel to cease from before us. You know? Don't speak to us these things. And what's happening today? Again, I, I can't help but going back to what Paul said as he was leaving. He was, I can see him with tears in his eyes. 
There's going to come a time to me, they're not going to listen to sound reasoning. They're not going to listen to the Word of God. They're going to want their itching ears tickled. And they're going to want you to do it. What are you going to do? You need to be a strong soldier of Christ Jesus. Stand strong in the grace. Follow the reasoning in those epistles. It is absolutely alarming of what God is calling men, especially men in authority, to do. And, and in the midst of this society, these prophets, even the priests were falling by the wayside. The false prophets abounded. They laughed at Micah. They laughed at Jeremiah. They laughed at Isaiah. They put Jeremiah in the stocks. They heard him. And, and we could go on opposing. And God saying, I want you to be strong. Are we going to be strong through this? And I want to go just a little bit. i got a few more minutes. I have just a few more verses. Verses 12 and 13. Um, this is assured deliverance. Many Bibles have, you know, deliverance promised or what have you. But it, it is assured deliverance. Wow. I will assemble. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep of a fold of the fold, like a flock in the midst of their pasture. They shall make a loud noise because of so many people. Now that's a prophecy right there in itself. You know, the Lord is going to allow a third of his people to come through, but they will bud and they will flourish in his kingdom as his loved ones. Remnant. So are we, are we understanding of what the remnant is? We are the remnant. The, 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 the bride of Christ. In the midst of all this false profession, we are the remnant. A small percentage of those that, that cling to Christ as their Savior and their Lord, and they follow, you know, again, Jeremiah chapter 2 says that God loved their tenderness. When he betrothed to them, he loved them because they followed him wherever he went. Even in a land not sown, they followed him. <clears throat> wherever he went, the remnant that stand in these, in these days. Again, in verse 12, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like a sheep of the fold, again like the flock in the midst of the pasture. They shall make a loud noise because of so many people. Look at verse 13. The one who breaks open will come up before them. They will break out, pass through the gate, go out by it. Their king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. Wow. I can't wait to get through the rest of, of the Old Testament because um, there is a sure end to Israel. There is a sure end to their suffering, to the uh, anti-Semitism that they've uh, had not only through the, the centuries, but their wonderment to the world. As we've gone through briefly, you know, there's been no other persecuted people like Israel. Oh, sure, there have been people that have fought against people and whatever, but the persecution because of an ethnic race has been exactly the way God described it. It would be. You know, they came out from a, from a harsh environment in Egypt. They went through insurmountable uh, odds that they would make it. They went through a wilderness that, that 
Well, it says that the land was inhabited, uh, the snakes and the beasts and all that. Their shoes didn't wear out. God fed them uh, miraculously, and he said he would do it until they stepped foot in Canaan, and that's exactly what happened. And, and God said that throughout all generations, you will keep the Passover, for example, as a memorial under their Again, what people keep the Passover? The Jews, not the Arabs or the Americans or the Norwegians or the Mexicans. The Jews keep the Passover. God says, in the last days, I'm going to not. I'm going to gather them from all the ends of the earth, and I'm going to bring them back to a land that I gave as a promise to Abraham. Years and years and years back is the fulfillment of my word, and you're going to see it happening. And he says, and from every chapter of Isaiah 43, 44, 45, and 46, you are my witnesses, says the Lord. And they are his witnesses. Ethnic people that are coming back to a... Can you imagine coming back from all of the earth to a little tiny piece of real estate, no bigger than New Jersey, or, you know, that so about. And then God said, if that wasn't enough, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring them back in unbelief. Okay? They're not only going to be the people that I covenanted with in the apple of my eye, but they're going to come back in unbelief. There is more witchcraft, there's more pornography, there's more atheism, per capita of Jews in the land of Israel than there is in all the world, per capita. Okay? And he said he has done exactly what he said he's going to do. They rejected when Jesus, when he first came. The temple was desecrated in 70 AD, and there they go. All the other ends of the, of the earth. Just like God said they would. And God said, in the latter days, and I will end with this, I'm going to do something that you better pay attention to. I'm going to bring my people from the outer ends of the globe because of persecution, anti-Semitism, and all this stuff back into their land. And that is why Satan is so against Bible prophecy concerning Israel. But you and I know it as a faithful God who keeps his promises. He's going to keep our promises, his promises to you and to I. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if I let, even if God has me here 50 more years, I know that what he started in me, he is going to complete. I have confidence. I can rest in the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity and even now. And that's what we see. Next week we'll be in chapter 3 and hopefully through chapter 5. I can't wait to get to that prophecy. We're going to see how uh, even King Herod was told that prophecy in Micah 5.2 as a this is what's happening. What's going on, he said. How come, what's happening here? We can't deny something's going on here. The, the, you know, people say, well, it's fulfilled prophecy. It says in the book of Micah that this one is going to be born in Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem, because I want to worship it. Inwardly, he was used of Satan. He wanted to kill him. But God provided that way. We'll get into that. That's exciting. Rebuke and restoration of Israel. The kingdom to come is, and that's what we're going to look at just in this wonderful book. And, and uh, I'm excited. I'm really excited. Father, I thank you for allowing this time we have to get into your word, to get excited about it. That's alive and active and sharpening your two-edged sword. Father, we, we just don't want that sword to become dull in our lives. And I pray that we would understand the fact of how serious it is to feed upon it, 
Make it our new direction. If there's those that have not, Father, I pray that they would just make it a new commitment, their new direction. Not that they would pull up like a New Year's resolution, but that through the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit, we would see the necessity of your word to get in and to allow it to get into us that we might rightly divide that word to confident people. You know, the word says that by our lives we turn many from sin. How can that be if, we, if, we don't, if we're not sure of, of where we stand? If we get asked questions by people that we don't have the right answers, you know that Satan is ready and our adversary is ready to give them an answer, absolutely. A false answer to lead them astray. That's what he does. I pray that we would be committed people of the word of God stand upon it, that we would we would have a reason of hope for everyone that asks us. For the reason of hope that lies within us, with meekness and reverence and fear, that we sanctify the Lord God in our hearts tonight. Thank you for this time. I pray that you would go with us as we go and, and uh, bless us with yourself, Father, and ask us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.